Good morning, family. I hope that you're all having a great start of 2021 and the first few days and weeks have been amazing. Uh, I know that for the past couple of weeks since Christmas, we've started this series of lessons on King Jesus, right? And how amazing he is and in what great, great things he, he does for us. And we talked about his birth. We talked about his call. And, and, and now we're going to talk about something that is maybe not very popular and not, not very familiar, but something that is very, very important. And then last week, we, we looked at these two aspects of, of the call of King Jesus and how we need to take up this this love and this obedience that he calls us to and the life in christ is a life of sacrificial loyal kind of love and a life of humble obedience that that we do not hesitate to obey the king who has commanded us so so before we begin let me ask you a question when was the last time you heard or you said the following statement oh i just long for somebody to tell me what to do with my life or maybe the statement of, Yo, you know what I really love? I love when people tell me what to do with my life. Uh, I, I don't hear that very often. I don't know if you do, but usually people don't like being told what to do. We like being autonomous. We like being independent. We actually praise independence as something that we should all aspire to. Right. So, so this whole idea of authority and having somebody over you telling you what to do or how to go about life or what decisions to make is not something that is seen with very positive eyes. Right. It's not something that is that is seen or that is desired. Yet when we talk about Jesus and following him, the idea of authority of his kingship has to be something that we are really familiar with and we really, really desire. Because if we do not understand his kingship and authority, we're going to miss out on so many things. And I know it sounds crazy, but almost in a sense, the statement should be meant like, I long for King Jesus to keep on telling me what to do, how I desire or how I want somebody to come into my life and guide it and direct it and, and, and move it in the direction that he wants to do. And that only person can be King Jesus. Because I know that for so long we're running away from, from institutions or people or groups or, or, or authorities to tell us what to do. We don't like complying. We want our freedom and our independence. It's important that we learn that in, in Christ, with King Jesus, th things don't work that way. So if we're going to learn something today, we're going to learn about the authority of King Jesus. And the call doesn't only involve obedience and love. It actually involves a very heavy cost. But the cost, is it worth it? And that, that's what we're going to look into. And today, all we're going to read is just one story, but a very powerful story. So I hope that you enjoy it. Join me in your Bibles, if you can, in the book of Luke chapter 9. Grab your Bible there if you're with your family, if you're with everybody else. Grab your Bibles and let's look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to start reading from verse 18. You know, in the book of Luke, the, the story is supposed to be told chronologically. You know, it's from Luke's perspective. And we're getting to a very climatic moment. Jesus and his disciples have been walking together for quite a long time by now. It's, it's somewhere in between the middle of his ministry, getting close to the point where he's going to start heading towards Jerusalem. And, and at this moment, uh, Jesus is becoming really famous. And he has a conversation. He's becoming, in, in our terms, 
Um, in our 21st century language, Jesus is becoming an influencer, somebody that has the capacity to influence people and groups and communities. And he's getting really good rep and really bad rep at the same time from authorities and governments, because like we talked about, nobody likes being told what to do, especially when you're criticizing the government of your day, which like Jesus was doing, it's, it's not really common and not really happy, right? So Jesus has this conversation with his disciples in Luke chapter nine, and it's a very, very interesting conversation. We're going to read from verse 18. Uh, Once when Jesus was praying alone and his disciples were near, he asked a question to them saying, who do the crowd say that I am? You know, very important question, very powerful question. What, what do people say about Jesus? And I want to take a pause right here because what do people say about Jesus now? If Jesus was asking us this question right here and right now, what would he, what would be the answers we would be giving to him? Because Jesus is, is preached. Jesus is known in the Western world, at least in our context here in PE, the, the, the city is very religious. People know about Jesus. I don't think I've ever met somebody, and I'm being serious, I've never met somebody that if I tell them, hey, have you, do you know Jesus? They'll be like, who? Who is that guy? What, what, what are you talking about? There are people like that somewhere in the world. I have not met them. I have not met a single person like that in PE. Everybody knows about Jesus or knows somewhat about Jesus, but which Jesus do they know about? I think there's a lot of Jesus being preached out out there. They know there's this hippie Jesus that just has peace and love and everything is cool and we should just love everybody and tolerate everybody because you know what? We're just made for love and you know Jesus is just like has the long hair and this hippie glasses and you know he, he just loves everybody. Oh, or maybe there's there's this very like strict Jesus, you know, this Jesus that has this long beard that's sitting on this chair that is looking down like we look up, but he looks down from heaven and he's looking at every single move that we make. And if we make one thing wrong or if we do not make the right confession or go to the right church or get baptized in the right way, then he's going to chow us and we're going to die in fire forever. And that's this hectic, strict judge kind of Jesus, right? And then there's other kinds of Jesus, you know, the Jesus that, that is very political, the Jesus that is very much about social justice and getting things done. And there's Jesuses being preached out there everywhere we go. It seems like almost everybody has their own version of Jesus. And I think the disciples right here knew about that. So they answered. In verse 19, some people say you're John the baptizer, then Mercer. Uh, others say that you're Elijah. And others say that you're a prophet that has risen from the past. In his day, people said many things about Jesus like in our day. People say many, many things about Jesus that fit their worldview, that fit their understanding, their social, their community, their political, their economical place. And in whatever way you want to claim it from, everybody wants to hold on to a part of Jesus for their own benefit. There's this um, name, um, man named Asra who, who talks about in his book, he talks about how for so long we, we've been talking about how God made us in our image, but that we have turned in many ways, we have turned God and tried to make him in our image. And how we for so long are turning God to fit our our kind of political or worldview or agendas that, that we want to pursue. And we say, hey, God, God is for this. And in the same way, they were 
At that time, people were talking about Jesus according to the context they understood. And it's normal and it happens. But we need to be aware and need to be careful because not everything that we hear, not everybody that says, hey, I follow Jesus, might be following the same Jesus you and I follow. So we need to know who we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. Verse 20, he says to them, who do you say that I am? I want you to ponder on that question for a little bit. Who would you say Jesus is? You know, there's the political Jesus, the social justice Jesus, the hippie Jesus, the legalistic Jesus, the whatever Jesus. But who do you say he is? And I can't answer that for you. You, you got to answer that on your own. I want to give you time. Take a second. Maybe pause the video if you need to or whatever. Just take a second and ask yourself, who, who is Jesus to me? And after you've thought about this, maybe share it with, with whoever's around you or with somebody over the phone in a conversation later on. Who is Jesus to you? If you ask me, the first thing that comes to my mind is King. I think for the past couple of years, I've understood and learned that my idea of Jesus ha has been rewired into thinking of him first as King. Some, some people might say father or, or shepherd or friend or, or, or lover whatever word came to your mind or whatever picture came to your mind, who is Jesus to you? The way you answer that question is really, really important. It will show a lot about where you are in your journey with God. It will show a lot about the picture that you have of him. You know, for so long, I had this picture of Jesus just on a cross, you know, like with his face down in the crown. And although that's a very good and realistic picture of, of who he was, that's not... All of it, I mean, Jesus was more than just there on the cross. He didn't stay on the cross. He came back victoriously and, and won over our final enemy, death. Jesus is king, right? But, but my, my picture had a lot to do with me because I knew that at that moment, Jesus paid for my sins. And at that moment, Jesus, uh, like his blood was, was going to grant me forgiveness and the wrath of God was finally going to be satisfied. And I didn't have to worry about hell because when I was growing up, my biggest, and I need to be honest with you here, my biggest motivation for following Jesus wasn't because of Jesus. My biggest motivation to follow Jesus because I was trying to avoid hell. Hell looks scary. It sounded horrible. And I didn't want to end up in there not knowing that the Bible actually doesn't even mention all of those things that I made my mind about what hell is. So the, the Jesus on the cross fit my, my need very clearly. I needed Jesus to die on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could avoid hell and go to the nice place called heaven. But over the last couple of years, I've really come to grasp, to understand that, man, Jesus is, is not only the one on the cross, Jesus is not only the one that loves me. Jesus is not only the, the judge. Jesus is, is king. So how, how do you answer that question? Well, how did they answer? Peter says in the last part of verse 20, you're the Christ, the Messiah of God. Very interesting answer. And let's think about it. Like, what did Peter mean when he said Christ, the Messiah of God? We got to put ourselves in their context and in their worldview to understand it. 
For, for the Jews, Messiah meant anointed king. It, it didn't mean what, I don't know what means to you today, but it literally meant anointed king. It meant like the guy that was going to be anointed to be king over the Israelites again. A king like David, maybe a king like Solomon, a king that was going to really just bring them back to prosperity and rescue them from their captivity. And especially under the Roman Empire, which they really didn't like that Peter really was against and that he wanted freedom from. So when Peter said this in his mind, he was not necessarily thinking about what I was thinking, the guy on the cross, he was thinking more about this ruler, this conqueror with a sword in his hand who was going to fight the Romans and free the Israelites from their oppression. I mean, think about it. The Israelites were colonized, were oppressed by the Romans. Well, they had the liberty, they had their freedom, but they still had to pay their taxes and they had to conform to the way that Roman life was about to some degree, even though they could worship their own God, they still, they didn't feel free. At least in their minds, they knew they weren't free. So they were waiting, waiting for the guy who was going to rescue them, liberate them, free them, the Messiah, the anointed King of God. So Jesus replies to him. <laughs> Jesus warned them and he ordered them, ordered them to not tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the ruling priests and the Torah scholars and be killed and on the third day be raised. What is going on in your mind right now if you're Peter and one of the disciples? What are you thinking about? Your whole life you've grown up knowing that at some point somebody's going to come a Jew of Jews, an Israelite of Israelites that's going to come and free us from this Roman oppressor. You read your scripture, you've memorized it, you know it in your heart, and you know that God made a promise in 2 Samuel uh, that he talks to David and tells him, I'm going to give you a throne forever and your kids will always be on the throne and this kid will free them of everything. You know the promise that God made to Abraham and how through his seed, all of the nations are going to be blessed in the whole world. You know the, the, the scriptures like Isaiah 49 that talks about how the Jews are going to become a light. You know the scriptures and the prophets that talk over and over again about the restoration and prosperity of Israel. You know about Isaiah 52 and 53, you know all these scriptures, so you're thinking about this coming king that's going to be liberating you, your family, and everybody around you. And all of a sudden, this guy comes named Jesus. You've been following him for months now, maybe even years. And this guy, Jesus, tells you, hey, yeah, you're right. I am the king. I am the guy that you were waiting for. I'm the liberator. I'm the, the one that's going to free all of us from the Roman oppressor. But I'm going to die. Yeah, right? That doesn't make any sense. Kings and liberators don't die unless they won the battle. And we're still kind of fighting this battle. So what do you mean, Jesus, that we're going to die? Um, that you're going to die. <laughs> 
And that's, that's what is so shocking about it. I know that you and I know that Jesus had to go to the cross, but they didn't know that at that time. They, they were not expecting that. Peter and the other disciples were expecting Jesus to at some point tell them, okay, it's time, let's go fight. And almost come like Moses and maybe come with some plagues to, to kind of tell the, the Roman emperor and Caesar, like, free my people. I, I don't know exactly what was going on in their minds, but I know that at, for, for certain, I know that they were waiting for liberation, political liberation, um, nationalistic liberation. I don't think they were totally catching the idea of liberation from sin and death. Maybe they were. I, I don't know. But this was shocking to them. This was very, very shocking to them. But what's even more shocking is the very next words that Jesus says. He not only tells them like, yes, I'm the king and as a king, I'm going to die. He tells them in verse 23, if any of you talking to the disciples right there wants to follow me, wait a second. I thought they were already following him. You must deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me for whoever wants to save his life must lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it so not only is our liberator gonna die if i follow him i must die as well because he's not talking about this nice little symbol that we wear as a cross. When we think of the cross, we might think of crosses we put in our walls or we wear in our necklaces or Jesus dying in a cross and the forgiveness that we have. When he was talking about the cross and with the picture that they understood, they were talking about torture. They were talking about punishment. They were talking about the highest, most painful way of dying and humiliating way of dying of the time. They did not in any way understand cross as meaning this nice little cozy thing that I, I could wear. They were thinking about it in the most horrific kinds of ways. So, so you have this idea that he's your freer, your liberator, he's your king that you were waiting for all your life. And then he tells you, yes, I'm that guy, but I must die. And if you want to follow me, you must die as well. Wait a second. That's not how the plan works, Jesus. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I wanted you to do. I expect you to come and liberate me and free me. What are you talking about? How could you possibly do this? I don't know what you would do, but I, I'm wondering if I would stick around. Not only is he gonna die, then I'm gonna die. Uh, then it's probably, you're not the guy. You're probably not the guy I was waiting for. <laughs> I don't know what you would do. But the disciples there had a very important, important question right before them. Now, it's no longer who do people say Jesus is or who do you say Jesus is, is will you follow this Jesus? And by this Jesus, the picture is very clear. It's a king. It's a liberator who's going to die. And in order for you to follow him, you must die with him. Will you follow this Jesus? This is the picture that we need to start catching. Yes, a liberator, but a liberator that does not win battles by fighting wars. It's a liberator, yes, but not a liberator that uses the, this, the love or has this love for power. 
Yes, he's a liberator, but he's not liberating you from any political or economical oppression. That's not his agenda. He's a liberator, but he's a liberator that is willing to die in behalf of all of his people. And he's asking all of his people to come and join him in his death. The call of discipleship, the call of the king is so high, so costly that it's costing not only your death, it's costing his death. And this is the message that the gospel of King Jesus is always being about. About this king that comes and he comes and dies. I know that's crazy because who would think about a king dying? But Jesus knew the scriptures. And how they pointed to this moment over and over and over again. And that if we were going to follow him, we got to die. We got to die. And, and I know that we might think, oh, well, this is philosophical or spiritual. Maybe. I don't know if they thought about it that way. Because Jesus did die on a cross. On a very hectic, horrible, horrible humiliating, horrific kind of way. And, and the 12 guys or more, I don't know who else was there, um, that followed him, also died. Maybe not at that moment, maybe not at that instant, but they also died, all of them except for John, in very hectic ways. I, I wonder if they understood this literally, if they were like, whoa, I'm going to go die. And, and what am I going to die for? And that, that's a very important question. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that, that that's not easy to hear. And don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like I get this and I live this every day out. But man, we need to go away sometimes from all of those Jesuses that are being portrayed. And we need to talk about the King Jesus that the scripture describes and that moves us in the direction of our deaths. And I need to emphasize that point because I don't feel like we emphasize it enough. You know what I learned recently? Sorry that I'm like going on a sidetrack here. But what I learned recently is that when you read the book of Acts, you know what sermons you hear from the apostles? You know, they, they don't speak about God's love. I, I know God loves you. Yes, he does. But they, they don't spend most of their time preaching the gospel saying, guys, God loves you so much because he loves you so much. You know, you should come and become a Christian and your life's going to be all better and things are going to go well for you. And man, God just wants you to come so badly. So please come. I know it's true. I know God loves us and I know God longs for reconciliation with us and restoration and he calls us all the time. But when you read the book of Acts, that's not the sermon you hear. When you read the book of Acts and whether you read sermon in Acts 3 or Acts 17 or Acts whatever, the sermon that is constantly being preached is Jesus is king. So you must come repent. It's not God loves you so, so please come along. It's, it's Jesus is king and because he's king and has authority over all of us, whether you like it or not, you should rather submit to his authority. Most of the sermons in, in the book of Acts are about that. And there's not a single time where the, the sermons in the book of Acts are about how much God loves you and you should come through. So, so I, I think we have overemphasized a side of Jesus that is true, absolutely true. Does Jesus love you? Oh, yes, he does. Does the Bible tell me so? Oh, yes, it does. 
But you know what? The, also, the Bible tells me so. It tells me that Jesus is my king and he's sovereign over my life and even unto my death. Not just spiritually, please, let's put that aside. Not just philosophy. It's not just philosophy. Let's put that aside for a second. Will you and I follow him if it costs you and me my life, your life? If it means that your kids won't have a mom or a dad because you're following Jesus. If it means that you will be separated from your loved ones because you're following Jesus. If it means the weirdest, most hardest of persecutions because you're following Jesus. Will you follow him? Will you still go? Will you still move along? Will you still go ahead in this this journey with him, will you still follow him? Because that's, that's the question that he's asking the disciples right here in Luke chapter 9. It was not just metaphorical. They understood it almost as literal. And I know that you and I want to answer right now, yes, because it's Sunday and we're at church and we heard some great songs and, and this lesson might be a little bit too much on your face and you're thinking, oh, I must say yes to this. But let's be honest, if I'm not willing to die to myself today, to my laziness, to my pride, to my comfort, how can I know for sure I'm going to die when the day calls for me to die for Jesus physically? Yes, I could say, yes, I'm going to die for Jesus. I'm going to follow him every day until I die. And I'm going to die like one of those apostles. And I might say, yes, I'll go for it. But then tomorrow morning, when, when, when 5 a.m. comes and I need to wake up to do my quiet time because work is about to start afterwards, oh, I might just sleep, sleep, sleep in. And after I sleep in, then I don't have enough time for my quiet time because I got to shower and I got to get moving on to the day. Or tomorrow when, when my wife is, is rude to me or your, my, your husband is, is horrible, your kids are messing up your day or you, uh, if you're in university, you're feeling like, man, I don't want to do my varsity work or I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to be integrity. When, when pride is tempting you, when lust is tempting you, when, when every single one of these things that we know and we face every single day are right there in front of us, will I die to those things? And if the answer is no, then how can we possibly say we're going to die for him physically, literally one day in the future? Man, it doesn't go both ways. Well, you need to say yes to both or say no to both. And you know, Jesus says that if you say no, then he, you, you can't really follow him. And I know that sounds insane and I'm not trying to get you to question whether you're a Christian or not. No, no, not at all. What I'm asking you is for you and I to take seriously the cost that his call requires. But, but not only the cost. Look at the why. Why would you die? Yes, maybe the answer is yes to the question. I would die. But why would you? And I'm going to read to you the verse again. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father. But I tell you truthfully, there are some standing here who will never taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And that's the why. Why would I follow Jesus? Why would I embrace the death? Why would I grab my cross? Why would I say yes, even if it cost me my life? Because actually, that is life. You know, the Bible describes us as zombies. I know it sounds weird, but the Bible actually describes us as zombies. It might not use the word zombies, but that's what it describes. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's not talking about like, yes, it's not physical death, but death has many connotations biblically. It's not just flesh that dies like these physical cells that are dying. He talks about emotional, spiritual, mental, and life without Christ is death. How many people suffer from so many struggles and anxieties and stress in everyday life? How many people suffer from habits that are so harmful, but you keep on doing because that's the only cycle that you know? How many people suffer from loneliness and depression and, and just all of these triggers and this life beating them down? People are dying. People are dead. That's what the Bible describes. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That without King Jesus, you and I are dead. But we're alive. We're walking every day. We're making our decisions. We're going to the shop. We go to school. We have our kids. We get married. But Jesus says, Paul says, the Bible says, you're actually dead. What does that make you? A zombie. I know it sounds funny, but that's... That's what the Bible describes our lives to be without Jesus. We're dead. It's, it's not a, like a very nice message to hear, I know. That's why we probably don't preach this in the corners all the time because we don't want to make enemies, right? But that's what the Bible says. And, and I wish I could change what the Bible said so it fits our, our ears. But I won't because I love the word and because that's what it says. And it would be unfair for me to tell you something else. So why would I die? Because I'm actually already dead. And if I want to follow him, if I want to live, why hold on to this life that is actually death? Why stay a zombie when I could actually live? Why stay in my old habits, in my depression, in my anger, in my messed up lust, in my horrible addiction? to whatever, to addiction to my phone or addiction to pornography, addiction to, to weed or to drinking or to smoking or addiction to women or addiction to whatever. We're all following somebody. We all worship somebody or something and we all becoming like the thing we're worshiping, whether we realize it or not. Why, why be addicted to my own self and to my vanity and to my ego? Is that really life? No. Life is in relationship. Life is in love. Life is in human interaction that goes beyond the self, that goes beyond the things that concern me, that goes and cares and loves and comforts and gives hope and breath and life. In Acts 17, God says he lives and moves and in him we have our being. That is life. Jesus is life. And in the book of John, he's described as life eternal because it lives not only forever. It's not just a quantity of time. It's about the quality of life. Jesus is life. So why would I die? Because he is life. 
Because if I don't die, I'm already actually dead. But if I die, if I am willing to die to my addictions, to my habits, to my mental patterns and be willing to be transformed, I'm actually living. I go from zombie to an actual human living being. That's the message of King Jesus. That's the man that we follow. That's the authority that he holds, that he can look at death. He can look at zombies and say, live. But he will only do it if you're willing to let go of that zombie life. If you're willing to let go of that death that you're holding on to, that I'm holding on to so strongly. Life is in King Jesus. So when we embrace our cross, when we carry it, even though it's painful and sore, we're actually living. That is life. Why do I embrace the cross? Why would I die? Because that is life. Without it, I'm not alive. So I hope and I pray that as we go about this series and as we look at what King Jesus calls us to do and the kind of authority and the kind of cost, we do not think about the cost as too high, but we realize that the cost is worth much more because of the reward. And the reward is not going up to heaven one day. That is part of it, yes, and it's not up there. The reward is life right here, right now. You can go from dead to life right now. That's the message that King Jesus shares. That's the picture that Luke 9 tries to paint. That's what they understood at that moment, at that time, that if I die, I actually live. And yes, we might talk about the one day it might cost us our lives. It probably won't happen, you know? It probably won't be that you and I actually die for following Jesus in our world today. It might. But you know what we do need to die to every day? It's ourselves. It's our pride. It's our lust. And, and I know that I, I've said this many, many times, but I'll stop right there. I'll stop with one last statement. To live is to die. To hold on to the cross is to actually live. Do you want to stay a zombie? Or do you want to live as a new creation, a new kind of human with King Jesus right now?